0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We're walking you through the flames. This week, the debate focuses on cancel culture. It's an immediate blind attack and condemnation without people really looking at all the issues. It's when a politician, celebrity, or average Joe does something that clashes with today's moral values. American mobs
1: call for their jobs.
2: Either people who are defiant, people who
1: admit they're wrong. Be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. What
0: led to zero tolerance and what could be done to deal with the backlash. His sister died of an opioid overdose and he let everyone know at her funeral.
3: might keep using and abusing drugs, I'll come up with
0: that. A Northeast Philadelphia man's effort to push back against Percocet culture and urban communities. We'll be right back flashpoint is sponsored by the gift of life donor program organ donors save lives register today at donors1.org Welcome back to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is the harsh and swift judgments in response to any actions past or present that are viewed as racist, sexist, any semitic homophobic, or worse. Today, new accusations could have a social media mob calling for your job. This phenomenon is called the cancel culture or zero tolerance policy. Virginia is feeling the backlash as that state's top three Democrats are under fire. And recently, Minnesota freshman Congresswoman Elon Omar was attacked following an alleged anti-Semitic tweet with even the president calling for her resignation.
2: Anti-Semitism has no
0: place in the United States Congress. What happened to her is quite common in politics and beyond and societal judgment gone too far. With me in the studio to discuss this Flashpoint is Liz preate Havey. She's the Montgomery County GOP Committee Chairwoman He's also an attorney at Dilworth Paxson. We also have in studio Michael Cord. He's an attorney and activist here in Philadelphia. And finally, on the phone, we have Rick Barton. He's a Princeton University professor who wrote an op-ed entitled, As America Battles Over Race, Sex, and Politics, How Can Citizens Find Forgiveness? Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank
1: Thank you. Thank you for having
0: us. We've had example after example of individuals being so-called canceled. How have we come to this point, Professor? It's a mess.
2: I'm not sure how we've gotten to this point. I mean, we've gotten terribly judgmental. We tend to be in a hurry to settle these things. To be more thoughtful, we need to be more understanding, and that might lead to forgiveness, not in every case, but something that we should definitely be able to do because we do it in in things that are oftentimes much, much more serious.
0: Michael, we've seen progressives put forth a zero-tolerance policy. Explain what that is and why.
1: I take the position that we need to look at what was done, if it was done wrong 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and uh, judge it and critique it and condemn it. But to cancel it is a whole different thing. We shouldn't cancel anybody completely for what they've done in the past. We should condemn them, but not cancel. Look at somebody like Albert Einstein. Mm. Albert Einstein, early on in his career, was a racist. Some of the stuff that he said about Asians and Indians would make your skin crawl. Malcolm X was a pimp. So you can imagine what he did to women. So do we completely cancel Albert Einstein? Do we cancel Malcolm X? No, we condemn them for the wrong that they did, and we grow from it.
0: Liz, we had Republicans have never really taken the zero tolerance uh, policy. What's your position on this?
4: I think that this country was built on freedom. I think if you went down uh, the the aisles of a supermarket and every country had a brand, the Americans would be freedom. And that means that we have the ability to talk about issues Mm. and— We come to better solutions talking about issues. So I think actually all three of us on this panel are going to agree that we don't want to stop talking about issues. And the the concern that I have with the cancel culture is it is stopping the dialogue. It's an immediate blind uh, attack and condemnation without people really looking at all the issues. Don't just make the condemnation – and then not have the discussion, yeah. Because innocent
0: people are being hurt. And what I see is, and and we and we saw it's almost like a public flogging in a way. Uh, and there, if, if people violate some moral code and some, and the moral code seems to be shifting, then all of a sudden you lose everything. Professor, you've kind of laid out some of the responses that we've seen and the evolution of responses that we've seen. Could you talk about that?
2: And obviously, there are people who. Who are defiant? There are people who uh, admit they're wrong and and really uh, seek forgiveness. Um, there are people who issue preemptive apologies. Some just bully on, doubling down, and and using their glass pulpits to cast the first stone. So we've, we whatever course there there's probably a bit too much righteousness and division is my argument and. Part of what I try to do is to offer four really simple tests. The first one is, what is the person's current state of mind? Are they, are, is this a continuing thought process, or, or did they leave it some time ago? And the second is, the apology sincere? Is there any contrition, any remorse? These are good qualities in my mind. The third is, the person capable and willing to make further amends, and or, or on the issues that were raised by his or her actions. And the fourth is if the person w- was to leave office or the job doesn't make anything better. So it doesn't treat. If you just ask those questions, they're not all going to come out the same. We're not going to. We're not going to be uh, yeah. an all forgiving nation. But I, but I do feel that our criminal justice system, for example, has gradations all over the place. Shouldn't our social media measurements at least be as merciful? As our criminal justice system, which, yeah, is, which yeah. has plenty of work. to do. And I want to jump this. in
0: there because we are in a, t- at a time where a lot of people are coming home from prison, and we're saying, give folks a second chance, Michael. I mean, mm-hmm. are there some violations— that are less tolerable than others mm-hmm. and that people should be canceled for.
1: If we find out somebody committed a crime years ago, then obviously that person has to be penalized for that crime. But if somebody said something years ago, then we can't give that person a death penalty. Might get that person a citation like jaywalking, but certainly not going to get that person the death penalty. One of the things I do want to make clear, though, is that I'm glad that we're having this discussion. Why? Because you look at the past. If a woman alleged that she had been sexually assaulted, nobody would take it seriously. If a black person says a cop beat me up and framed me, nobody would take it seriously. But now we're beginning to see that these things are happening and have happened. So the people have been muffled in the past are going to do what anybody would do once the rag is taken off their mouth. They're going to yell and scream. Victims are finally being heard. It's funny because many of the people are complaining now about the progressives and the revolutionaries yelling and screaming, didn't say anything in the past about what was going on wrong.
0: You know, I've noticed that there's a segment of society that is conservative and says look innocent until they don't they don't roll with the mob <laughs> the moral mob that's happening right now they say look innocent until proven guilty and we saw that in the Kavanaugh hearing yes. Liz, where folks were like look man we can't condemn this man now for something that happened he was a kid well i think what happened with um, uh justice kavanaugh was very
4: unfortunate dr ford in the end there really wasn't anybody who that I was there and yes, I saw this. Nobody really backed up her story and his life um, didn't have other incidents like this. And the sad thing is that I believe now probably less than half, but, but a huge portion of America thinks the guy's a rapist. And I think that's unfair and he'll have to live with that for the rest of his life. So I think that was a a huge miscarriage of justice uh, in in my view. But I think the hashtag MeToo movement is a very important one and has done a lot of good. The problem is it is now being weighted down by its own excesses. You have people who are um, making accusations that are not substantiated and they bring people down with this the the whole mob mentality of we must believe, we must believe, we must believe instantly. And and that's a very scary place. I mean, some of these accusations aren't true, right? They they aren't. And you can destroy, completely destroy somebody's life forever. And I would argue that, yes, Justice Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court, but in a way, a big part of his life has been destroyed. And I'm not, I don't think it was, it was fair. And, and I don't say that something didn't happen to Dr. Ford. I think something probably did. I don't think he did it.
1: Let's say that somebody lied about this man, by them lying on them, assuming that they did by them lying on him, that means he doesn't get the job as a member of the United States Supreme Court. But he got it, yeah. But but even if he didn't get it, my point is that that's not a loss. Most of us don't become Supreme Court justices. I'm talking about people who are victimized and thrown in jail because a cop lied. I'm talking about women who have been sexually assaulted and nobody believes them and now they're quote unquote blackballed and they can't get a job at any firm. So it seems to me we have to ask ourselves who's the real victim here, a woman raped that nobody believes, a black man assaulted that nobody believes, or a white guy who didn't get a judge, a job as a Supreme Court justice?
0: In any movement, the pendulum is usually one way too far, and that's why the movement occurs, and that's why the momentum builds. And then in response to that, sometimes the momentum overtakes, and it goes all the way to the other side. So how do we bring the pendulum back to a, a, a modicum of fairness, Professor? How do we bring it back?
2: Anything that's new, at some point there's a balancing or an equilibrium, and we have to expect that. But a big part of it is this initial stage that we're going through and making sure that we are not dismissive of these, of of some very awful things that have happened in our history or are still happening today or that people are taking for granted. And I would say of all the op-ed pieces that I've written over the years, this one has actually produced the most... Uh, dynamic dialogue, and I've and I've and I've read other people's columns that were similar. They where they offered different tests, and I saw one response that I liked a lot, which really comes close to what Michael and and Elizabeth saying as well. Which is, the person said, shouldn't our three measures be uh, whether something is criminal, offensive, or stupid? And and, they, they, and the writer yeah. then went on to say, stupid happens to all of us. Offensive. Uh, we probably also stepped across that line. Hopefully, not as often. And criminal. Okay, now now you're entering entering a, a whole nother category. So my my sense is that the that if we have the conversation, and if we listen to what other people are saying, and we try to figure out what is it that we're trying to trying to accomplish here. If our purpose is to reduce racism, to cut down on sexual abuse to not have gender discrimination. What are we doing in that regard, and how is this conversation advancing that?
0: Yeah, and I want to say, I mean, this is a great transition because, you know, we all know what's been going on in Virginia. Mm -hmm. There's literally backlash to zero tolerance happening right now. You have the governor, Ralph Northam, the attorney general, Mark Herring, both admitted to blackface, Mm -hmm. okay? You got Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax denying allegations of sexual misconduct. It's like everybody has a skeleton and it's all bubbling out the closet right now
1: you know but i would take the lieutenant governor out of that I and I the re- and the reason is because he's just been accused with no evidence to back it up there might be some later but right now we don't know when the attorney general and the governor is involved either there's photographs or their admissions the call noun seems to be louder to impeach the lieutenant governor yeah the black guy who's just the alleged wrongdoer, whereas the attorney general and the governor, both of whom are in photos or admitted
0: but, it. But, but Michael, I mean, and, and Liz, jump in here because it, it's race versus sexual assault. Right. That's two different. And, yeah, And
4: actually, there, there are a number of accusers, and their stories are being corroborated. So when I, I'm shaking my hand when you said take lieutenant governor out of this, I said take it out because I think it's actually a much worse case. I think that when you're talking about sexual assault and you have... Uh, a number of women accusing and have corroborated stories by a number of people. It, it's more serious now. We had uh, Kavanaugh.
1: We, we had more than one woman against Kavanaugh. But well, there was, seemed,
4: but 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 okay. I, I mean, there was no corroboration of any of those stories. And in there the still end, there is not against
1: the lieutenant governor. I apologize. Well, I just
4: read it. I just read it in the paper this morning that there was there the several women. What you're saying with,
1: about the lieutenant governor applies even more to Kavanaugh. But you seem to give Kavanaugh a pass.
4: I'm not giving Kavanaugh a pass. But I we actually listened to. Um, him testify for hours and Dr. Ford testified for hours, and we watched um, the fallout afterwards and the investigations afterwards. And no and
1: testimony against Lieutenant Governor.
0: Not right.
4: But it has on, to
2: happen. On the Lieutenant Governor is. Is he it, does he deserve an investigation? And yes, I think and, so. Uh, because it is it is a, a, a charge of criminality, then he, deser- he definitely deserves an investigation. I mean, that's yeah. that's what we would expect of our criminal justice system.
0: If we look at anti-Semitism, racism, sexual mis you know misconduct, should they be treated differently? How so? Because with the cancel culture, it's like any all of them are being swatted in the same boat. It should be different. It should be different,
4: and I think all of us on this panel will say that people who have com- committed a criminal act or have been accused of a criminal act need to have um, a, a di- be on a different track, and certainly – Everybody needs due process. Those that have been accused of uh, sexual assault or, again, like our lieutenant governor in Virginia, that needs to be looked at with different eyes. That needs to be looked at by the law enforcement community as well as, as the public to make their own judgments. But the law enforcement community should come in and, and give that a real, a real investigation and due process. I, I think what we, what we have to do in this country is take a deep breath. Yeah. When these accusations come out, people go straight to Twitter. They say, you know, they demand that people be removed from Twitter. They call everything hate speech or they call way too much things hate speech. I'm worried about our rights to, to freedom of speech. I, I really am. I, I sat in a debate with a, con, a constitutional scholar who said we need to get rid of the the, uh, the free speech because there's too much hate speech allowed. And, and that is a huge slippery slope. We should allow people to talk and then we should then say – Here's the problem with what you're saying and have a discussion about with what what you're saying is offensive to me and let me tell you why. Yeah, Yeah. And sometimes people are offended by things that I don't think they should be offended by or I'm offended by something that they don't think I should be offended by. Right. I mean, I hear from Republicans all the time. I just heard it yesterday. I was in a meeting where people are saying, God, those hate has no home here signs are so offensive to me. I feel like. People are screaming at me that they hate me all the time and that I'm a hater and that I'm a racist and I'm a bigot. Yet people with the signs on their homes feel very strongly that they need to show President Trump that they don't like him. Yeah. Um, it, 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 and we've had this discussion on, on all sorts of issues. So m- my hope is that people yeah. become less uh, race to judge, know, stop the mob mentality, take a deep breath, yeah. have a discussion. And and on
0: Twitter and on social media, make it a respectful discussion. I think what what kind of has left in the past couple of years, and, and I'm going to shift a little bit, has been the benefit of the doubt. And my question now is, this whole idea of you must quit, that's the only um, <laughs> result, is res- resignation, is stepping down.
1: Clearly, somebody like the governor of Virginia, we ought to condemn him. But let's say today he supported equal pay for women. Let's say today he supported affirmative action for black folks. Do we say now we throw him out? And even progressives and revolutionaries like me, okay, we get rid of him. We get rid of the lieutenant governor. We get rid of the attorney general. And who's in there? Some reactionary who thinks like a 1960s bigot. So be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Jump
4: in. I I heard you. I want to say one thing really quickly. What concerns me about that statement is, you're right. There is a concern in Virginia that all of these Democrats lose and a Republican wins. But the Republican doesn't have to be what you're describing as a racist bigot or anything like that. That, that kind of talk to me is, is not, not leading to a, you know, a, 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 the proper discussions that we should be having. So what if those people were in office that you're talking about in Virginia were Republicans? When would you be reacting differently? So that, that's a concern of mine. We shouldn't be looking at these issues of, OK, that's a Democrat, so it's OK. Oh, that's a Republican. It's not OK. It, those should be completely wiped away. We should be looking at the action that they're being accused of taking that's offensive or criminal in and of itself and having that discussion.
0: Because of the divide that we currently are experiencing, people are sort of taking all Republicans and putting them in one boat, taking all Democrats, put them in di- different boat. That's part of the divide.
1: And I think one of the reasons, I know one of the reasons why people are doing that is they're looking at the leader of the Republican Party. And if you look at the leader of the Republican Party, that's obviously the president of the United States. Yeah. So we see and hear what he does, but getting back to the point that um, Liz just made, I agree with her. And that's why I even said in regard to the governor who happens yeah. to be a Democrat, yeah. if he were today, a Republican talking about equal pay for women. If he were today talking yeah, about yeah, representative yeah. action, I support him completely. And, and
0: professor, I know you were trying to get in here. I wanted to open it up for yeah. you. Yeah,
2: in particular with political figures, more so than business or or entertainment or or sports figures. Almost all of them have a, an element of controversy around them. Yeah. Why is that? Because even the most successful ones, oftentimes only got 54% of the vote, or 51% of the vote, or 60% of the vote, and that meant that a whole heck of a lot of people Did not were like already him. on record as opposing them. So uh, one of the dangers that we have in these conversations is that the minute that a controversy flares up, we basically say, oh, this is, this is way too controversial, and for the good of the family, we have to we have to get rid of the controversy. And it's like, no, it was going to be controversial to begin with because yeah. these are political figures and these are political events. And in America, there will always be somebody and usually fairly large numbers opposing you.
0: One quick thing I want to shove in here. Should it be treated differently if you did something 30 years ago versus today?
4: Yes. Yes. I think societal I think so. norms were different then.
0: Yeah. The rules have switched, the right? The
4: rules have switched in, 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 in a lot of ways that are better. Um, so... But I think, yeah, 30 years ago, people were making mistakes because they didn't know they didn't know any better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And very quickly, my position is that no, because when I fight to avenge my enslaved ancestors and we talk about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson enslaving black people, many of the folks who come to the defense say that they were men of their times. Well, slavery has always been wrong. If you don't want to be a slave today, you didn't want to be a slave yeah, then. Yeah. So I think that we don't look at it and say, okay, if it's old, we don't take it as seriously. But I think we do a we look at what the person has done since that time, <clears throat> yeah, five like years, the professor. 10 years, 25 yeah, yeah, years. Yeah.
0: Because this is Flashpoint, we do need to wrap this up. Is there a rule of thumb we should use when judging our fellow men and women for indiscretions to determine their futures?
2: Well, just remember that even God waits till the judgment day. So our, our commitment as people in a democratic society is to be thoughtful, to seek a better understanding, to listen to others, and try to figure out what we're, trying to, what we're trying to accomplish.
1: All right. Very quickly, as an attorney, I'll say this. Even in society, we have to give people the presumption of innocence and require the accuser to have the burden of proof.
0: Last
4: word, Liz. I believe we need to give people due process, and we need to listen to people. We can't scream and shut down their voices. All right.
0: So I want to say thank you to Liz Preate Havy. Thank you to Michael Cord. And thank you to Rick Barton for being on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you. Next up, when his sister OD'd on opioids, he told everybody at her funeral.
3: People just making jokes about it and make it seem like Old
0: Poppin' a pretty cool one man's effort to raise the shade on Percocet culture and urban communities. We'll be right back.
2: It's the smart look at the issues catching
5: fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint.
6: What we have is a crisis.
5: This goes way beyond just
2: the perpetrator. You know
6: how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up. It was a
0: moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting.
2: I think we f- forget that you came from somewhere else too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames
5: on air Saturday evenings at 9:30 and Sunday mornings at 8:30 or search the Flashpoint
2: podcast on the radio.com app.
0: is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. One thing that gets Philadelphia residents hot under the collar is overdose deaths. More than a 1,000 people lost their lives in Philadelphia because of a drug overdose in 2018. Now, when most people think of opioid use, a white suburbanite comes to mind. But more than 15% of overdoses in Pennsylvania are people of color. James Rivers made headlines when his 25-year-old sister, Anaya, OD'd on opioids. He put the cause of her death in her funeral program. James, welcome to Flashpoint. A tough, A tough few weeks.
3: It's overwhelming and it's good at the same time because it's like the message I put out there, I put it out for, I guess, people who got friends or people who overlook people's addiction. And it's like a lot of younger people hit me up, and they'd be asking for help, and I'd be lost. Like It's hard.
0: And, and so let's back up. So your sister, Anaya, 25 years old, beautiful uh, young woman, mother of two, yes, had a problem. What was her problem?
3: She uh, suffered from battling addiction to opiates. I guess that's Percocet. Yeah. And then it graduated to uh, heroin, but it started from Percocet.
0: You hear about perks. In rap songs music. Yeah, that's music. what I about to say. It really streams from, don't like, really... the
3: urban, like, neighborhood. You know, it's trendy now. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You know, rappers, you know, everybody's making it seem like it's cool to take them. And there's, it's a thing called fentanyl. And that's what's really, like, killing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they cut it with fentanyl. They mix a lot of drugs with fentanyl. And it causes death.
0: And that's how she, yeah, she that's passed away. Yeah, that's how she away.
3: died. She passed away. Her autopsy was cocaine and fentanyl.
0: And when you got the word, what was your reaction?
3: It's like I was stuck, but... In the back of my mind, I always, like, prepared myself for that phone call.
0: And why is that?
3: Because I always, like, fought with my sister. Like, I went through life with all her battles. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never left her side. I tried to get her help. I reached out to rehabs, rehabilitation centers. Then, like, one of my last conversations with the counselor, she was like, it's not too much you can do. You can't drag somebody in here and force them to uh, get rehab. They got to want it, like, willingly want to do it themselves. So once I, you know, set up, Appointments and all that, and she didn't follow through with them. I know what comes with it? If somebody keep using and abusing drugs, the outcome of it is death. My mom is like on drugs too, so my sister had her first overdose in October. Every since like October, pray that one day she want to get herself together. Yeah. Before it's too late, you know what I'm saying?
0: You shared, you know, the information surrounding your sister's overdose, how she died in the program at her funeral. Why did you do that?
3: Like me and my sister, we had a great relationship. Everything happens for a reason. That's how i like I could carry myself strong and it's like I do believe if more people was trying to help her, you know what I'm saying, or more people was reaching out, it would have been a different outcome.
0: And I specifically was attracted to this story and shout out to Janice Armstrong uh, Philadelphia Daily News, who did this story uh, in one of her columns recently. When people think of opioid addiction, they don't see a black mother of two exactly. as the the victim of mm-hmm. opioid
3: overdose. It's like the norm is like when you think of perks, you're thinking like a white person or a white, you know, kids are trying to gain a bunch of white people linked over. But it's, no, it's really in an urban neighborhood. Like I had a friend that passed away from the same thing and August, but his mother, you know, like, they kept it closed for their own personal reasons, but it's like somebody got to spread their light first. You get what I'm saying? Because black people, we think it's just cool, but it's like when a lot of people, when you be hearing about the uncles who had seizures or died in their sleep and all that type of stuff, that stuff be real, and it's from, like, drug addiction.
0: Do you So do you think more people of color are dying of opioid overdose than people are willing to admit? Absolutely. And so you're just willing to admit it?
3: Absolutely. You know, with honesty, things get better. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's it, a lot of people that contacted me and was like, yo, reading that made me, you know what I'm saying? Like, want to slow down, made me want to change, or like, it really touched me, you know what I'm saying? If people just making jokes about it and make it seem like, oh, popping a prick, cool, whole city gonna be on pricks, everybody gonna be dying. And it ain't gonna be no cure because everybody hiding it. I just wanted to do something different. And then my sister, she was like a real open person. Like, she always is on social media, she always is on her live, so it's like, People knew when I mean, she bought her little perk, she take pictures of and put on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? But people hit the like button and, you know, behind yeah. your back talk about you, bash you. Then when it's too late, everybody mourning and crying, like, oh, I wish I could have helped. Tell me about how y'all yeah. grew up. We got the same mom, same dad. I was born February 13th, 1993. My sister was born January 16th. 1994. We share the same age for three weeks. I guess they, they call that Irish twins. We grew up in like a regular home. It's like, you know, we went through our struggles, but it wasn't like nothing crazy that we couldn't like never get over. She was a single parent. She had kids young. She had my nephew at 16. And he's eight now. And then she had a daughter, tale She's two years old. And I really put the message out there for us, like, if you got a friend or you got a family member that's suffering from addiction, it's like, even if they don't want to listen, even if they don't want to get stuff together, yeah. like just pick up the phone, tell your family member how much you love them. Remind them of the person that you remember them for before you you know, start bashing them. You still got to love these people for who they are.
0: The message in here, he said, though Anaya suffered from an addiction, she did have one desire that no one would go through what she went through, which caused her to sink into that bottomless pit of despair. And so you really, it was a message yeah, here. it was a message. Do you want more and more people of color to talk about this? Because I don't even Absolutely. know if people realize that Percocets are opioids.
3: They're so expensive. You get what I'm saying? It's like once your body, once you get addicted to them and you crave it to them, you can't afford it. You're going to have to spend hundreds of dollars just to get that one feeling that one bag of dope will give you. You go buy one bag of dope for $5, $10 and get a feeling that you got to spend hundreds of dollars on for. Yeah, so That's why people fade away once they get so much hung on their Percocets, they get too expensive, so they turn to the next thing and give them the same feeling. Yeah. It's just getting crazy out here. You really got to, like, be careful watch what you're putting in your body and all that because it's real. People just put it, you know, put it in songs. Even celebrities. Celebrities die from, you know what I'm saying, overdoses and all that type of stuff, but a lot of people are not going to share light or really tell the truth as fast as they had, put it in a song. Like, oh, Papa Prick, make me feel good. No, Popping pricks can really kill you.
0: So how are, how do you hope to keep your sister's memory alive? I hope to
3: keep it alive by doing what I'm doing now. I want to just, you know... Get out, reach out, talk to as many people as I can. You know what I'm saying? Just, like, get the message out. If somebody can, you know, like, just make a transition and just be like, you know, I've read it and, like, I've really changed my life over. Like, I really, it, 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 you know, put peace at me. I don't think nobody should experience that. Like that
0: nobody, pain. That yeah. Pain. Give a shout-out to your business. Support his business, please. <laughs> please.
3: I have a, a clothing company called Be Real Clothing. The Instagram is at be Real. That's at B-E dot real r-e-a-l dot clothing and I have another vinyl printing business called real vinyl prints that's at real dot vinyl prints on Instagram the store location is comedy in Torresdale Avenue 4629 comedy street it's a partnership store I have another partner named Nafis and uh, his clothing on is different vision. his print shop is different
0: visiting. and you know you're doing, out here doing good stuff yeah. supporting your family supporting your sister and now becoming an advocate against opioid addiction. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's why I look at. I look at everything as like, you know, it was meant to happen like this. You feel know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's sad that my sister had to go, but I don't look at it as like, she's gone. She's still with me. The kid's going to be all right. And she's not nowhere that anybody else going. You feel know what I'm saying? I just want to see the next life so they won't have to end how hers ended.
0: Thank you to James Rivers, who is. Sharing the story of his beautiful sister, Anaya. I'm so sorry for your loss, but thank you for your words and your awareness. If you're suffering with addiction and need help, dial 1-800-662-HELP. Next up, they're reforming juvenile justice.
5: We can't keep on punishing a person after they've done their time. How a youth-run
0: nonprofit is using art and activism to change lives. We'll be right back. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community. Many times, the Philadelphia prison system tries those under 18 as adults and sends them to adult jails. The Youth Art and Self-Empowerment Project uses art, music, and poetry to give young people who are incarcerated support and leadership development before returning home. Here to tell us about the project is co-director Josh Glenn and youth organizer David Harrington. Welcome to Flashpoint, Josh and David.
5: Thanks for having us. How you doing?
0: And so tell us, for people who don't have a a real understanding of the problem that uh, your organization tries to solve, please explain it.
6: So basically what we do is like we're trying to change the law to stop sending juveniles to adult prisons. So youth organization that goes into the adult jails do art and poetry workshop with the juvenile boys and juvenile girls. When they come home, we try to offer them a job and support them in any way we can. We try to help them get a resume or if
0: mm-hmm. they want to get back
6: into school. We help them with that. Anything they need, housing.
0: And specifically, let's dig into this problem of you, you, basically kids mm-hmm, being right. put in adult jail and what that means for that young person.
5: Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what it is. It's children being charged as adult and held in adult prisons pre-trial. So they're not even convicted of a crime. And so the way this started was in 1996 when the whole tough on crime movement happened and all that rhetoric went around the country about youth predators and youth going to be running around super, and predators, super yeah. predators, you mm-hmm. know where that came from. And so basically because of that movement, all around the country, laws like Act 33, and this is this is the name of the law that allows youth to be automatically charged as adults and held in adult prisons pre-trial in Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And so, before 1996, young people couldn't be automatically charged as adults. They would start off in juvenile court, and if the case was serious enough, the DA would have to petition to get them charged as an adult. So in 1996, they reversed the process, and so now for anything that can be considered a violent crime. Young people are automatically charged as adults, and they're held in adult prisons pre-trial. At the age of 16, I was locked up, charged as an adult, held in adult prison, pre-trial for 18 months, and then my case is dismissed. $2,000 bail. During that time, we were segregated from the whole jail. You can't really do anything in a jail because it's an adult prison. You have two blocks for young people during the time I was there. There are only two blocks. And so every time we would go to visits if we would try to go to the yard, they would have to stop the whole jail because we were supposed to be sight and sound separated from adults. But we did see adults, you know, it's an adult jail. So they would basically make us stay basically almost in solitary confinement circumstances. And yeah. we couldn't move around. We couldn't even get programming like we needed.
0: And so, David, you had, I mean, you youth led. I assume that this was similar situation for you.
6: Yes. I'm 16. I was locked up in charge as an adult also and got my D-cert. Uh, these when you fight fighting to get sent back down to juvenile. And uh, I came home and been doing this type of work ever since. We do workshops in high schools, middle schools, colleges. And, you know, just trying to be there for the youth the best way we can. Now, talk about this trauma. Because,
0: uh, you know, recently there was some policy changes within the DA's office mm-hmm. about this particular issue. And they had young people there that talked about mm-hmm. the trauma of being thrown in an adult prison as a child.
5: Mm-hmm. And so we, we also was there at that press conference. We also meet with the DA. So we've been the group that, along with other groups that are working around youth justice, we've been meeting with the DA almost every other week to try to get the young people out of the adult prisons. It's a slow process because everybody's, it seems like everybody's afraid to do the right thing. But, you know, I think, I think we we will end up getting them out of there because of, there's been a federal law passed. You have to remove all young people from adult prisons. And so we're hoping that Philadelphia take the lead in starting that process.
0: Yeah, how does um you know you sixteen years old? You are supposed to be in school every day. That's what I don't know. That tenth, mm-hmm. eleventh grade, whatever. Yeah. So, what is education like in the adult jail?
6: So you can be like seventeen, you like in eleventh grade, but you'll be learning ninth grade work work that you already learned. So it was like when you come home, you know, you you kind of be lost on like
0: trigonometry yeah. or no, Calc. No, no,
5: they don't give you yeah. all that. They you don't, don't give you learn that. that. You learn basic stuff. No. You learn ninth grade ninth, ninth level grade work. work, and that happened when I was there. First of all, we were there. Different times. I was there. First of all, I'm one of the co-founders of the organization too. You got out, and you was like, "This is yeah. a, this is BS." I mean, to get to get a little bit deeper into my story, my attorney actually, after the 18th month, my attorney came in and said, "Look, you're going to lose." He said, "Look, they're offering of you time served. You can get out today if you take this deal." And so I didn't do the th- I didn't do what they said I did. So I didn't want to take the deal, and I sat there and contemplated. But then I was like, "You know what? I'm not going to take a deal for something I didn't do." And I said, "You know what? Let's go in there. I don't care if I lose." We went in the courtroom. They said, this kid has been here for 18 months. You don't have any evidence. Y'all never presented no evidence. And they threw the case out right then and there. And so that's what really sparked my head and made me think. And I'm I'm sitting right next to my counsel that just told me to take a deal in the back. And then I talked to my parents. They was like, oh, they said that you were going to get out anyway. They said you were going to beat the case. And so seeing all of that, I, I put those pieces together. I said, oh, no, I have to do something to change this. And then so, you know, I got together with. Sarah Morris, three other young people. It was like in 2006. We, we, we sat down and we brainstormed. What can we do to, one, get young people out of adult prison? We don't think any young people should be in adult prison, no matter what the case is. So
0: all these years, they've been teaching people ninth grade <laughs> ninth grade education, to, no matter what your age is. Uh, and you're in adult prison. Mm-hmm. And so 18 months basically stunted your education.
5: The, the barriers, that first of all, I didn't lose the case. And so I get out. You know, thinking I could just you know get right back on my feet. One, I couldn't go back to regular public school because they said that you were charged as an adult, and so you have to go to a disciplinary school for 180 days before you can go back to regular school. And most most people know when you go to that disciplinary school, you never get out because they don't want you to get out. They don't want to even though you didn't do even the though crime. I didn't get convicted of the crime. That was one thing. Also, I would go and try to apply for jobs, and it would come up that I was arrested, and they would deny me because it comes up no matter if you you win or and lose, you didn't do it. Th- didn't do it. No matter if look if you win or lose. It still comes up. And so you have to get expungement to get off your record. And so it it took a while for me to get right. And the thing is, without the support of people from the the nonprofit uh, sector, like just connecting with people when I got out, I don't know what would have happened.
0: And so your life has basically been changed now. You got out and you had that support. And what has it done for you?
6: I like doing the work that I do, you know, just trying to be there for the youth, getting the population down. Inside the adult jails for the juveniles. Actually, the times that he was there, it was like over 150 kids there. Yeah. Now, right now, it's, it's about like 12, 12 kids there. So us like going into the adult jails and seeing the progress that we're making is a, a beautiful thing. Because there's hope. Yes. We want these young people to know that it's an organization out here that's there for them and that care for them. Yeah. I,
5: th- I think that also we have to really shift how we deal with criminal justice in this country, in this world, you know, if a person get locked up and they do their time, first of all, the time is supposed to be the, the, the penalty, the penalty and, and the price for the crime. And so we can't keep on punishing a person after they've done their time and they've, they've paid their debt. And I think that that's the real issue we have here, but also there's a scarlet letter on your name when you get out no matter what and and, and you can't come back into your community and you don't have anywhere to go to get what you need. And so for that to happen to young people, we we just couldn't allow that. We just couldn't. It's sit like back. it
0: clips you down before you even get a chance to grow up.
5: It's it, it, a lot of trauma. It's a lot of trauma and, and nobody's getting healed. Yeah. Everybody's in pain. Yeah. Everybody's scared. And yeah. and, and, and everybody's disconnecting.
0: So you guys do a lot. Bailouts. You know, to give me the laundry list of things y'all got <laughs> coming up and what y'all doing.
6: Uh, the Eagle Care Summit. So basically that's like a free full day conference designed to bring Philadelphia nonprofits together with a focus on the capacity building. And the goal is to make our community stronger by providing local nonprofit staff with tools, information, resources, and connections they need to perform at their highest level.
5: So that's hosted by the Eagles. Go to the Eagles Players Coalition website or Google it. Then you can get all the information about the CARE Summit. Yeah. yeah, We're also supposed to be launching our participatory defense hub. So we're actually we're going to launch the first youth hub in the country the second week of March. YASproject.com.
0: So I want to say... Thank you so much to Josh Glenn and thank you so much to David Harrington for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. And I wish you both luck in reforming these laws and policies surrounding youth and criminal justice. Thank you so much. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast for exclusive content using the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. Simply search Flashpoint KYW. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Swiss psychologist Carl Jung once said, We cannot change anything unless we accept it. Condemnation does not liberate, it oppresses. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.